Welcome to Christian Warrior Talk, proudly presented by Christian Warrior Mission. Hosted by former Navy SEAL, SWAT officer, and atheist, now a warrior for Jesus Christ, Pastor Jason Perry. This is more than just a podcast. It's a spiritual vanguard where we intentionally set aside the hustle of our daily lives to come together. We gather to study the Bible, share in heartfelt prayer, and engage in meaningful discussions about all things Christian, homesteading, prepping, and self-defense. Lock shields with us, and together, we will hold the line. And now, let's meet your host, Pastor Jason Perry. They speak against Donald Trump and his personality flaws and can't distinguish between those things versus the tyranny that would take away freedom of religion, the, the tyranny that would fight for wholesale slaughter of the unborn. You are listening to Patriot Crusader Mission, where Christian warriors are forged. Sponsored by Patriot Crusader Mission Patreon page. Join us and become the Christian warrior you are called to be. In this episode, Jason and Pastor Ken Graves talk about the upcoming presidential election and how Christian warriors are called to pray and prepare for the coming storm. All right, well, uh, welcome back to the show, my great friend and pastor and brother, uh, Ken Graves. Ken, it's great to see you. I miss you so much, brother. Um, yeah, you know, likewise. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but I must say, I've been looking at the weather reports, and I've been seeing 20s in the night. Oh, it's cold. <laughs> I, you wouldn't believe how cold it is. I can't believe it already. Yeah. I've been, uh, you know, watching all your uh, sermons and watching your teachings every night, and I see you all bundled up, and we're still shorts and T-shirts down here in the south. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it's the kind of weather that makes a woman want to grow a beard. <laughs> Well, man, we got, it's been a long time since you've been on, um, and there's so much to catch up on, but I, I really kind of want to put most of that to the side, and I want to roll into the most important thing I th- you know, going on right now, which is the election, the most important election in our lifetimes. And it's funny because I know we've all said that multiple times before. It always seems like we're saying yeah. that. It's always true. Yeah, and it just seems like you know, um, that we just are accelerating towards this chaos. I mean, you know, I want to cover the Philly riots and everything else again last night where now you've got Democrat control, you know, basically you've got a a population base, which unfortunately is black America right now, that anytime anything happens, they just use it for an excuse to go shopping, burning and beating people. And it's just really terrible. And that's, you know, Democrats incarnate, but, um, you have been running a very successful uh, prayer watch uh, through your through Calvary Chapel, Bangor. And I, I kind of wanted to talk about that. And I wanted to focus the first segment that we're going in today on the power of prayer and how we should be praying to help the election. Because, you know, I, you saw Franklin Graham do their march. You know, they're doing stuff. You guys are doing stuff. Um, there's, there's so many churches that I think that, I, I you know, you know, I've been a Christian you know, 
since I was 37, but I wasn't really plugged into it like I am now. But I don't ever remember seeing prayers like this going out and people rallying around the president to pray for him. So if you could just, you know, set the tone on why we should pray for the president, how we should pray for the president, and then I'd like to get into fasting too and why that's important. I'll tell you, uh, Jay, that the reality that we have the opportunity to affect God, we actually have been given the opportunity by God to make our petitions before him, to put our requests before him, to actually come in a figurative sense into his throne room. And that's what we do when we pray, that our voices actually rise to the Lord more than our voice, our our heart rises, and God actually hears us. The very call for us throughout the Bible, the whole Bible continually calls us to prayer and calls us to, to just um, continually intercede in, in, in such a way as to cause us to really believe that our prayers affect God and move his big hand, and God's hand is in everything. He's laid out these promises, like if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then from heaven will I hear. I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. That, Second Chronicles 9.16, is the very thing that we can t- we got to continue to pray. Jay, you know that what's going on right now is the most blatant and obvious clash between good and evil. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's different worldviews. One that is absolutely tyrannical and, and uh, the other, which is all about freedom. But freedom, see, freedom, there's a new understanding about freedom. Uh, it, it is the, uh, in, in America, at least. Early Americans understood freedom is being able to do the things that we ought to do. Right. Being able to do the things that we ought to do, uh, to do what is right. Uh, There's a new philosophy about freedom that has crept into America, that freedom is being able to do whatever we want. That isn't freedom. That always produces tyranny. You know, think about these people just going in in the name of whatever their cause and destroying property and stealing, robbing, and pillaging, and convincing themselves that they have a right to these things that they're taking, that, uh, that's not freedom. The, the person who has made the investment, the person whose store it is, whose, per, whose personal property it is, they're not free no. if, if others are expressing this concept of freedom. So there's no doubt that what we're dealing with right now is a collision of kingdoms, a collision of worldviews. And we actually need to plead the mercy of God over this nation and plead for God to give our president uh, victory. Because he's the guy who honestly represents right now the cause of freedom, the I, uh, power to do what is right. I completely agree with you on that. Um, you know, I've been in war-torn countries after civil wars, during civil wars. Um, 
and we are very close, Ken. And I don't think our comfy American lifestyle, you know, you've also been over there. You've been over to Africa. You've seen what happens there. We're not very far off of this. I mean, Kosovo was on the verge of being like a, a you know, a first world nation before their, um, before their civil war. And, yeah. and then it was, you know, raving bands of men with AK-47s and ethnic cleansing. And, you mm-hmm. know, it, it, it was just absolutely heartbreaking. And then, you know, you know, and then you see Iraq and you see Afghanistan, you see all these places. And that is my fear that that's what's on the, what's on the line here. And I, I don't think yeah. we're very far from that. And, but the good news is, Ken, is I just feel God's hands on this. I can't describe it, but I just feel God's hands in this one. Whenever, you know, it seems like there's so much against the president right now with uh, the mainstream media has become the enemy of the people. Mm-hmm. They are nothing but a socialist propaganda net, you know, uh, mm-hmm. network. And I don't think they say a thing true. I mean, it's really, really bad. And, then, and they're blatantly committed to censoring any truth. Yeah. And then you see the social media giants out there who are, you know, doing their best to censor everything. But no matter what, it seems like God is overcoming and truth is getting out and people are seeing who want to see it. You know, I get very angry with the uneducated public, but I can't blame them. Like my in-laws are a case in point. They're good people, but they watch the three letter networks you know, the ABCs, the CBS, the, you know, whatever. And they don't stand a chance because they don't even get any diversity of opinion on any of those, on any of those channels. And that's their, you know, they don't live the news, right? They watch a 30 minute synopsis and they hear president bad and this, that, the other thing. And it's just, you know, really, really terrible. But, um, you know, it's really hard not to get frustrated with the low information voter. But I want it to, is. Yeah. I want to back yeah, well, up. Well, it's, it's, it's a truth versus deception conflict. And you see the truth is being suppressed. You see that lies are continually being repeated. Think about how frequently they say things about this current president being a racist. And there's no evidence of that. They can never cite a crime he committed. They can't cite any statement that he's ever made. They just keep repeating lies. Yeah, they repeat the lies. And it's funny, before we ran for president, they all loved him. Yes, right. Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, they all gave him awards, the NAACP. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, everyone loved him. You know, last night, Lauren and I um, just happened to stumble upon a video in our feed that showed Trump from a young man, how consistent he's been. And it just, it was literally 20 minutes of him calling everything right and saying things. And he's on Oprah and Oprah's begging him to run for president and all that stuff. And it's just amazing how, you know, how much darkness and disinformation and everything's come in here. And I really, you know, you talk about the spirit of antichrist and it really is truth against lies right now, the father of lies. And, you know, and, and it's just, it's just so, overbearing how much darkness is out there and how they're trying everything. Like if you told me this was possible, I would never believe this five years ago. 
Never yeah. believe that social media, that all the networks, that people would literally see truth in front of their face and still wouldn't uh-huh. you know the cognitive dissonance that they're talking about, yeah. where they're so brainwashed, you know. But we have to talk about, you know, what we can do and how we should be praying and what we can do as, you know, Bible-believing, God-fearing men and women to combat this darkness and to protect the president. Like, how should we be praying, Ken? I know you've got something going on there at Calvary Chapel where everyone signs up for an hour, you know, 24 hours a day for people to pray. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and what you'd recommend? Okay. Honestly, however we can pray, if we can agree to do a designated time, if we can agree together, let's all commit Wednesdays to, to you know, prayer and fasting. I, I just think whatever we can do, we ought to do. It is written in this whole conflict between good and evil. Ephesians chapter 6, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. But we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places or in spiritual places. Think about this for a second, Jack, that our enemy, which is very real, isn't physical, isn't tangible, but very real. And they are the power brokers behind the scenes in spiritual realms. And he says, and since that's the case, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having undone all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you should be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then he says, so having done all of that, having suited up and having armed yourself, you've got one weapon. It is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. He says, do all of that, praying always with all prayer, and supplication in the spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me, that utterance may be given me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, which I'm an ambassador in bonds. This particular passage in Ephesians chapter 6 is telling us that every single kind of prayer has to be employed, that we, that, that we should be uh, interceding, that we should be agonizing at times, that we should be praying God's protection over the good leaders, that we should be pr- praying the the uh, the counsel of the wicked leaders would be confounded, that their their schemes would be thwarted, that God would rule over all of this. I'll say the thing: I've been praying, I've been praying that that God would demonstrate to all of those enemies that are united that you mentioned all the big media uh, sources and all the big tech and all the billionaires, you know, the really super elite that, that, that are not content to just go spend their money. They've got to use their money to try to shape the world. That, that, that lust for power that they have, that they've uh, committed their resources to, that God 
would demonstrate to all of them their ultimate irrelevance. I mean, they, they really boast, they really believe that they have this power. They, they laugh at the common man, they mock, and they really believe that they are the ones who are pulling the strings and that they are sort of gods uh, controlling the destiny of the nation. And I'm, I continue to pray, I think we all ought to, that God had demonstrated to them their absolute irrelevance. That, that the irony that the uh, big tech companies and social media platforms determined that that Hunter Biden laptop story would be suppressed. They, by suppressing it, have made it the biggest story of recent uh, news. Yeah. And, and um, again, my, so my, that's an answer to prayer, that, that God would um, show them their irrelevance. I'll tell you the other thing, we've got to pray. We, we really must pray for a revival, for the yeah. kind of thing that happened that made America to begin with. It was the, the Great Awakening in colonial America that made us have the courage and the moral clarity to see what the issues were, to see the tyranny for what it was that King George was engaged in. To, I mean, the, 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 the thing that had happened, the way the Bible had influenced the minds and the thinking of the general population that would cause them to recognize that they are being played. I'm praying for that same kind of, of awakening, the same kind of returning to the Bible that, to we, that we would return. Think about this, that the, the ethic that used to be, the ethic that is gone in the mob that just believes they can go in and just take property. They could they go to Walmart last night and just shop for anything they want and not have to pay for it because they're entitled because of what law enforcement did or did not do. That ethic that uh, or, or lack of ethic, all of that is affected by a wholesale return to biblical thinking and, and to a fear of God. And, and that's, Jay, that's the kind of thing that we read about which happened in the Great Awakening. It happened again in the Second Great Awakening. It's happened a number of times. These, these revivals that have taken place where all of a sudden the most wicked people come under conviction. They come under this, this, this influence of God and suddenly become aware of their wrong, suddenly aware that, that their, their crime, their sin, is just that. It's sin. And that they got they got to take care of business with God. It's one of the one of the traits, one of the characteristics of a, a genuine Holy Spirit movement, is that consciousness of sin and yeah. uh, returning uh, people altering their course um, in associated with some of those great revivals in early America. Jay, there were taverns closing, there were brothels going out of business, there were no clients, there was no. There were no ladies willing to offer themselves. People had come under the influence of the truth of God's word. I think about the Antifa punk and the, and the, you know, the, you know, the anarchist little white privileged, yep. ungrateful little uh, sinner. And I think though, of what would happen to him if his eyes were suddenly opened to what a punk he's been. How much better that would be yeah. than to than to be able to uh, take him out and beat him 
I'm how sure much that I would really no no it, that. how much how much better to all of a sudden win him as yeah, an, an ally. ally to win him as a brother as a as a defender of freedom if somebody if somebody who instead of uh, taking would be a, become a giver yep. and the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to change the individual like that and it's happened in the past and it's got to happen again I'll tell you if if all we do right now is win the political fight and keep a majority. If all we do is keep, um, you know, Republicans in control of the White House and of the Senate, if that's all we do, then we continue to deal with this ongoing oppression, the anarchy, the riots, the, the games that they're going to play, the continued um, uh, impeachment attempts, the, you know, the, the traps, the lies, all of that. Is going to just go on and on. If all we do is win the election and keep a majority, the fight that we have to win is a spiritual fight that brings culture back to the truth of God. Christian Warrior Talk is sponsored by Trident Shield, your trusted ally in violence preparedness. Trident Shield safeguards your loved ones with expert training and consulting. Trident Shield, defending faith through preparedness, because together we save lives. Yeah, and I, I couldn't agree with you more on a lot of that. I'm not sure. I think if we win this one, and again, I, I don't know because I don't know how these evil people think, but I would think that they would have to try something else for once. Right. I mean, I'm hoping yeah. that beyond all hope and praying that if they get rejected this time with everything stacked against them, mm-hmm. that maybe, maybe they're going to realize that what they're doing will never work. It's going to take a miracle. <laughs> you know, I, it's going to take a miracle. I, the reason why I say that is these are the same people who will make, they will invest millions in order to make a film that destroys people's uh, sense of patriotism. They'll they'll make a film to undermine family, to mock God, and they don't learn anything from the loss of billions. You know, a a corporation like Target will lose in in one year more than $10 billion because of their bathroom philosophy, and yet they're dedicated to it. They learn nothing from the loss at all. See, it, it takes a miracle. It, it's not just enough to defeat them politically. Mm-hmm. We have got to convert them. We've got to see these people changed. Yeah, That's what's I, gonna I, I agree. And I think that we have a great opportunity, you know, particularly um, for this, for this, like I believe, and I believe, and I've heard you say it as well. And I'm, I'm if please let me know if I got, if we're in agreement on this, that the Lord is withholding judgment yeah. right now, and America is all that stands in the way of that. I agree. I think that that the American uh, Christian, American believer, is the only thing that stands. It, it is. It is the whole exchange that happened back in Genesis between Abraham and God with regard to Sodom, with regard to Sodom and Gomorrah, the twin cities so wicked that God said, "I'm going to go down." I'm sending angels to verify one final test of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham interceded. Abraham said, God, but what about, what if there's, what if there's only 50? What if there's only 40? What if there's only 30? What if there's only 10? 
only 10 good guys in the entire Twin Cities of Sun and Gomorrah. God said, for the sake of that small number of righteous, I would spare it. Ultimately, yeah. that, that small number would not be found, and Sodom and Gomorrah would be destroyed after the, the, uh, the only few people that were genuinely righteous were evacuated. And I really think that there are, I, you know, I don't know what the numbers are. I, I know God is gracious, and uh, I don't know exactly what the population of Sodom and Gomorrah was. There were significant cities, but all it would take was 10. Just the yeah. influence of 10 righteous. God said, I would spare that city its judgment for the sake of those and for the influence that they can have. There are a lot more than, than 10 here in America still. Now, the sad reality is that of the millions of people, it depends on whose number you're using, but according to you know, the, the best numbers, there are about 80 million people who identify themselves as evangelical Christians. Now, I happen to believe that what evangelical once meant, it no longer means. I think that the numbers are not as big. I think there are a lot of people that have called themselves Christians and now they've become universalists and they don't even know that that's happened. That's sadly taking place. But whatever number you use, let's just say, let's be conservative and say that there are 50 million, 50 million that really actually have a biblical worldview in this country. Of that 50 million, only a tiny minority of those people actually vote in even a presidential election. And that is the thing that has to change. That lack of stewardship, that the fact that they don't vote, and then when they do vote, there's a pretty good indication that nobody's taught them any Bible. Oh, Jay, the, the biggest thing we've got to pray for is for courage to return to America's pulpits and for America's pastors to once again proclaim the word of God to the people of God so that the people of God are equipped to go out there and take a moral stand. And it's the absence of courageous preaching that has us in a pickle we're in right now where so many Christians are so uninformed and so uninvolved. Well, you just did a perfect transition to what I wanted to talk about. Uh, you're one of the champions of the, of the faith uh, out there. And I know that you travel the country bolstering and, um, supporting brave ministry, you know, fearless preaching, truth preaching. And, you know, the fact that cowardice in modern churchianity has led us down this path of where Christians don't even know Christ. I mean, they don't, they don't know right and wrong. They think it's all, you know, it's, it's, it seems it's not, right or wrong. It's not lightness versus darkness. It's not good versus evil. It's become this gray thing that it never can be, right? It cannot. It, Jesus is the truth, the light, right? And, right? and they are out there and they're so afraid of offending anyone, right? Yeah. Where you see none of that with Jesus. Jesus went out there and he spoke straight truth to their faces and said, you vipers, oh. <laughs> you hypocrites, which is about yeah. the biggest thing you could say back then. You know? um, he didn't have a, pro a problem hurting anybody's feelings. No. But in order to do them good. And that is the problem is where the, the pastor has become this count, like, like this psychiatrist counselor, 
Life coach. Yeah, life coach. Yeah, there you go. You know, gentlemen. Yes, where they're there just to bolster you. And it's like, no, they, you're there to, to, to get them to walk away. Like praying was the first part of that and turn from your evil ways. Exactly. Right? And no one does the second part, right? Yeah. And, you know, and I just feel like, ah, I said it. I was all. <laughs> I know that people need to tur- to put foot to action, that pastors need, you know, the fact that they're not talking all politics from the, the podium, I think is a disgrace. And that's something. And then, that- when, and then when they, and then when they do, Jay, there's a, there is a piety. There's this, this absolute pharisaical, uh, I think epitomized by a recent letter written by, you know, highly regarded Bible scholar, John Piper. And I think he wrote something profoundly stupid, uh, trying to equate Donald Trump as a man, his pride uh, and his arrogance with the great sins associated with the left, including abortion. And, and you know, John, these guys have got this, this, this um, absolute... Um, pharisaical perspective whereby they speak against Donald Trump and his personality flaws and can't distinguish between those things versus the tyranny that would take away freedom of religion, the the tyranny that would fight for wholesale slaughter of the unborn. I'm amazed at the the sort of spiritual blindness that that would cause the 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 really slick Bible teacher guy to be able to to attempt to make a case that concern for the poor is much more consistent with the gospel. And when we talk about the considerations of the poor, well, then you know the, the these socialists are a lot more in line with Christianity. They, um, there are people who actually have written and taught those kind of things. Is if they don't even know the basics of scripture, even the basics of a concept of ownership, that, that in their 10 commandments, when you consider the commands of God, the big 10, that ownership is such a real factor that two of the commandments deal with it directly, that you, you must not steal. And you must not even covet what belongs to another person. And ownership is completely destroyed with concepts like socialism. So what I, I guess my, my ranting here is that there are those who don't even have a biblical perspective that are claiming to use the Bible to teach some new kind of social justice as if Christ would have been into it. He was not. He acknowledged ownership. He acknowledged that people's things were theirs. And that's kind of at the core of so much of what's going on right now in American understanding. There's nobody even preaching that theft is wrong. It's wrong for the government to steal. That theft is a sin. That murder is a sin. That They can't even make the distinction between the, um, the innocent life of a baby and, uh, you, know, you know, the irony, the madness to me is that the same 
leftist crowd that fights for the right to, to slaughter babies right up to the very last trimester are the exact same people that will fight to stop us from executing convicted murderers and rapists. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's madness, like you said. You know, it's the curse of madness that it we're is. all facing. And there, there's, there's no way, you know, that it can't be that, that all these people who, you know, I mean, well, we can go back, you know, 60 years, 70 years with the Soviet brainwashing and getting into our universities in the 60s and, and you know, marching it forward from there and saying how long, how many generations it would take for them to turn people into that cognitive dissonance where yeah. they would deny what they're seeing right in front of their eyes, you know. And we, and, and we can't fight against that with just a better argument. No. And, and, and we can't fight against it with just reason alone, as much as I think we got to reason with people. So coming right back to what we were talking about at the beginning, and that is prayer, that we need to involve God. We need to plead for the mercy of God and the Holy Spirit of God, who has in the past altered cultures with a revival, with a great spiritual awakening. The, the, what's going on here is not, it's not enough for us to beat them at the ballot box. It's not enough for us to take back control of those institutions that they have gained control of. It's not enough for us to outspend the billionaires or the, you know, the George Soros's and, a, and the um, Bill Gates. It's not enough for us to do that. But what we need to do is make our appeal to God, that God would open people's eyes, that the public itself would become immune to the deception by coming to realize the truth. And I really believe that the truth is contained in the word of God, that we have got to get people back to the Bible. And that is a spiritual thing. And that, that is an, you know, I hate to use the word organic, but that is a, so I'll get away from that and say, that's a personal thing. Like it's all about influencing the people around you and moving them closer to Christ. And, you know, the easiest way, you know, to, hurt Christianity is to be a hypocrite, right? I mean, deter, sure. if you want to sour somebody against our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, it's yeah. to do, say one thing and do another, you know, which we've, yeah. we've seen so much throughout history because we're flawed humans, right? Yep. And, you know, people sit there and say, you know, how could Donald Trump be, um, you know, be chosen, you know, by God or be getting blessings from God or how is he on the side of God? And I think a lot of people have some really bad intel on the people of the Bible outside of Jesus and, yeah. and Joseph, yeah. you know, you know, yeah. he's another one that I, I find to be one of the, the few um, mm -hmm. in the Bible who were actually good, solid dudes their whole way through. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, most there of them characters, were like you say, also characters like uh, King Darius, yeah. You know, the Persian king, there, there, are, there are people that God has dealt with, flawed people that God has dealt with and interacted with in history. There are flawed people that God has used. People like Samson. How about, you can think about Samson's story. Samson has, uh, has violated the terms of the covenant that he is supposed to be in with God, a Nazarite vow. And, uh, he continues to fail. Samson's a, he's a, he's a weak man. 
in character, but supernaturally empowered by God physically to do great exploits. But, you know, the, the fact that God can and does use the less than perfect, that God can involve himself with, with rulers and leaders that are very flawed, and yet God has a purpose for them. And I'm amazed when I think about Donald Trump, um, somebody I never liked, uh, you know, when everybody else did, when he was popular. Yeah. I didn't like him. I don't, like a, silver spoon. I don't like a silver spoon, whatever, you know, I mean, right. and, and, I have nothing in common with him. When he became hated, when he became hated for a number of reasons that I shared with him, you know, that I suddenly realized the same mob that hates him hates me. Yeah. It really did change my perspective of him and change my prayers to God on, on behalf of the guy. And I, I realized that he, he has been enabled uh, by God to recognize that things like human life is precious. Human life is created in the image of God and it is valuable at every stage. For his eyes to be open to that, to, you know, to realize that. When you think about the, the crowd that he's always been around and the lifestyle that he's lived and all that kind of stuff, I'm, I'm amazed at the things that he sees for what they really are. And the issues of, of conscience. Yeah. Clearly, God's got his hand on the guy and has opened his eyes to the fact um, that conscience matters, that religious freedom, that, that on everything that really matters, the guy comes down on the absolute right side. Yep. And it's almost uh, miraculous to me. You know, and we've talked about this before off camera. You know, I was not an original Trump guy. You were not original Trump guy. You were a Ted Cruz guy because you have a relationship with the Cruises. Um, You know, I was a Rubio guy, which tells you where I was. I couldn't be more grossed out by that now that I now that I say that and I see, you know, that's just deep state there. Um, But what I what I saw in Trump and what made me feel like I could vote for Trump was this. Here was a guy in his 70s yes. who had done everything already. There's nothing left for him to do. He, by all accounts, could go off into the sunset, spend time with his grandkids, and be lazy if he wanted to, and just do the great things of life. Yes. Instead, he sacrificed his family, himself, and his vitality, and crucified himself for this country. Yeah. That's what I see in him. That's what I see. Like, I mean, think of the headaches and the, and the stress. And no one goes into that office and comes out the same. And I That's knew, and, and, and I knew it was also his vanity, which is one of his flaws that was going to be one of the strengths that God was going to rely on. Because I, I have to agree. Because he was looking for legacy. Here, he's built buildings. He's built everything. His name's everywhere around the world. That is all nothing. History is eternal. And that is what he was going for. And he wanted to leave this place a better place than, um, than what it was. And, you know, and I, I just really believe he has the purest of motivations. Unlike every other president who comes in and gets rich off the office, he's lost yeah. billions since he's been in. Yeah. And 
you know, and I, you know, if I look at him and I look at King David, I look at, you know, others, you know, in the Bible and I, I see so many similarities, right? I see flawed men and I see God working through their flaws and I just don't, you know, where I see that where the church loses it in, in, in churchianity loses it is they say, and, and I agree with this, you know, Jesus should be the focus, but they don't connect everything else around that to Jesus. They don't connect abortion to Jesus. They don't walk it out, right? They're like, oh, I'll just love Jesus. Well, you know, we're not brought, we don't get to heaven through our actions, but we are saved only by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then our actions should show him in us. And they never get that part, right? They break out these little tiny segments, you know, turning the other cheek or love thy neighbor, love thy enemy, you know, all these things, but they don't ever move the bar on anything out there. They think they can go on one missionary trip and they're done. And then leave their whole name, their own neighborhood, their own backyard in complete chaos. Mm -hmm. And I really wish that more pastors like you would connect the daily, yeah. right, in our own lives around us in our community yeah. to to Jesus and what we should be doing in his name. Yep. And and connecting Jesus Christ to the very law of God. Yes. Connecting because he's not separate from the law of God. He no, is, too many think came, that. Too many. Think he came that. to he came to fulfill the law. He did not come to destroy the law. And, every, and all of that stuff about thou shalt do no murder that matters to Jesus Christ. Yeah. The fact that babies are being murdered wholesale, and that it, it, not only is it happening, they the, uh, the the most wicked what they insist that all of us who are opposed to it still be forced to pay for it with tax yeah. dollars to make us so, the, the, so but there's this there's this concept of jesus there's some kind of flower child concept that has completely uh separated him from the law of god that is not biblical that the law and i, I keep coming back to ownership that you actually own what is yours and the government has not got the right to take it from you. Nobody else, or take it from you to give it to somebody else to buy more votes and more power. That the the law of God is um, relevant to Christ, and He is going to judge us by the law. You know, I was going to spend a, a little bit more time talking about, you know, how I've seen, you know mega pastor saying that Jesus would be marching with BLM, which I do not believe. I actually was listening to Charlie Kirk the other day mm -hmm. and he had an, a, a, a pastor from California, from Calvary Chapel. I can't remember his name, but he's from Egypt. He was raised in Egypt mm -hmm. and he was talking yeah, about that was, my, how, that was my buddy, James Cadiz. Uh, yes. Yeah. What a, what a great podcast that was with Charlie. Yeah. And he was talking about yeah. how, you know, how the Bible is against socialism. Absolutely. Against socialism. But so many misinformed people think that Jesus would be out there saying socialism is the way. And they, and, and I just, oh, we need to put Judas the nail would, in that coffin. Judas, Judas said, 
in John chapter 4, we've covered that before, Judas saw someone else doing something with their property that was an expression of their love for Christ. And Judas said, oh, why was this waste tolerated? Tolerated by who? Tolerated by Christ. Why was this waste allowed? This, this money, this should have been sold and the money given to feed the poor. And the, the Apostle John, writing by the Holy Spirit, said, Judas said that not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the treasury. Judas was a perfect liberal, a <laughs> perfect, just ignoring the concept of ownership and presuming to have the power or the right or the virtue to spend what is other people's resources, the way he thinks it ought to be spent. Now, Judas would be marching with the BLM. Yeah. Not Jesus, not the Son of God, not the one who represents perfectly the law of God and that very concept of ownership and, and the value of life, that human life matters according to the law of God, that family matters, that adultery is prohibited by the very law of God. Jesus Christ said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. And when you think about the whole BLM, it is a movement that is mostly white and a frightening number of white homosexuals and lesbians who are hijacking the, the, the plight of black America and creating a false narrative about reality in order to whip them into action. They're, they're exploiting the black man once again. But it, and who are they? they they're opposed to family. They are committed to the destruction of the family, the very thing that the law of God validates. They are Marxists. They're all about the, the suspension of ownership and everything belongs to the collective, contrary to the law of God. They're all about the murder of babies, contrary to the law of God. So again, my whole point with all of that invoking the law is that Jesus Christ would stand for the law of God the Father. So when you go and, you know, you go and you travel and you're trying to, you know, I, I know that you're a pretty influential person um, when it comes to, you know, Calvary Chapel and men's ministries and you get invited to speak all over. How, what are you saying to these pastors who are not weighing in, who are staying on the sidelines, who are too timid to upset their donor base, you know, um, you know, because it's got to be, you know, I, I'll be honest, I have never seen a church like your church before. I've, I've trip shopped for since I was 37. And, you know, here I am 48. And, um, and I've never seen anybody who is willing to get up there and say truths like, like you have. And are there more out there? I mean, there, yeah, there's a lot more than you realize. Yeah, there's, there's, there's been a, a remnant. There are good men pastoring all over the country. Most of them are in smaller congregations of 150 to 300, you know, uh, attendees, and they they are faithfully opening the Bible, reading it, and giving the sense, doing that faithfully. There are a lot more really big, really well known and popular uh, speakers that are less true to the authority of God's word. Uh, man, when you look around the country, Jay, there's 
they are everywhere. And, and the irony is how many of them are in rural areas. It's just rural versus urban. Everybody wants to be a big deal, goes to the big city. You know, yeah. They have a tendency to become man-pleasers. It's a rare thing to find an urban pastor that will actually speak the truth, offend people, and divide the house if necessary. Yeah, and that's what I never saw. I've always seen, you know, like the thing that really bothers me when I see, you know, people speaking, you know, typically pastors speaking is I don't want to divide. I don't want to divide. And like Jesus came to divide. The he Bible says, was here to divide. The Son of God says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, think not that I came to bring peace on the earth and not come to bring peace. He said, but a sword. I had this conversation with Ben last night. My boy Ben and I were in the word of the day. And I said, Ben, I want you to think about what does a sword do? And Ben goes, well, a sword can uh, protect a life. A sword can take. No, but what does it actually do? When you just base, you know, boil it right down to what does the sword do? A sword divides. divides. A sword cuts a line. It cleaves one thing from another thing. And the sword of the word of God is what the son of God was talking about. And he said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring division. You've got to be on one side of the, of the word of God. You've got to be on one side or the other of him and what he says. Yeah. I, it's a deal. I, yeah. Well, and, and, and you know, Kim, you know, I, I really am full of hope. I do see so much going well out there. I do see, you know, I don't know if you've seen Trump speak lately. He is, he looks touched by the Holy Spirit. He is glowing. Like, yeah. you know, before he got sick and, you know, he was all muddled and all this stuff. All I saw was frown lines and all I saw was worry and I saw it on him. I've been watching, you know, I've been watching the news. I have one of my monitors set up and the news is always up there while I'm doing other stuff. And I just yeah. look up and I see him glowing vibrantly. And it just makes me feel that, you know what, things are going to be okay, that things are going to be okay and that God's got this. I, I really firmly believe that now. Um, I have that sense as well. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, I've had some times where, you where I was really worried, right? Oh my God, I did, you know, I was really scared. You know, I was yeah. really scared. Yeah. Um, but I, I really feel like that we are intervening in, you know, I really believe that God is going to bless us for four more years to get it right. And I just mm -hmm. hope that once we get it, that once he blesses us with that, that we mm -hmm. can get rid of the corruption, that we can remove those weak Republicans that are in office and really yeah. do something great and protect the unborn, protect yeah. the freedom of, uh, freedom of speech, take these tech companies to a task where they are no longer protected from by their censoring and that, exactly. and that we, you know, that you can't, don't have to worry about what you say online. They're going to deplatform you and steal, you, you yeah. know, and, and, and yep. drive your, your followers away and everything else. They need competition. They do. They do. I mean, I've been looking at some, you know, parlor is supposed to be like Twitter. I, I don't really understand it all that much yet. And then there is a new one. That's the YouTube, um, the YouTube competitor called cloud hub. Um, I've been mm -hmm. seeing a lot of Christians on that cloud hub. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but I think once, 
we either they break them up or whatever they do, I, I think it'll be better for us all. And I think it'll, it'll, of course, encourage more innovation because, you know, they're not going to control everything. That's right. You know, um, so the, the, one of the few things that I want to talk about right now uh, as we wrap this up is um, even if Donald Trump wins, and I want to say this to our audience out there, there will be riots. You know, the left yep. is going to throw a temper tantrum. They are mm-hmm. going to hurt people. They are going to burn. They are going to pillage. They are going to attack, you know, uh, assault people all over the place. It's, they're going to, it's going to be worse than it was last time. And I, but I do believe that since the gig is up at that point, that government will start using the proper amount of force to put it down. I think they'll take the leash off the cops, let in the National Guard and let them go in there. But I, I, really, right. I but I, I'm telling you people out there, you've got less than a week to prepare. All right. You guys need to start making some uh, really solid decisions. And if it means leaving, you know, going and visiting on election night, some family out of town. Um, if you're in a neighborhood that borders one of these places that historically gets rowdy, you know, like I look at Philadelphia, I look at Portland, I look at Boston, I look at New York, those same neighborhoods are getting ravished over and over and over again. And they're starting to push into the suburbs and you know, it, you guys really, really, really need to come up with a plan. You really, I believe you should get out of the city and see what happens. I mean, maybe you'll be able to go back the next day, but stay plugged in, start making your preparations, finalizing your preparations and get out of there. Um, because I really, really fear, you know, I think Atlanta could be a really bad place where I think things are going to go wrong. And, and just speak truth to your friends, particularly the elderly who are trapped and a lot of them can't go, you know, t- you know, try to help them have a plan because they don't have the mobility that most of us have. And so you think about that 90 year old lady, you know, or, you know, your grandparents or your elderly aunts and uncles, or even friends check in on them because they just are not as mobile as the rest of us. So, um, you know, so that's all I really want to say is that I can't tell you how forcefully I think you should get out of the cities if, if you can, um, and go rural, rural and, um, and get around some family and pray because that's what's going to get us through all this. Yeah. Well, my friend, it's so good to see you. I miss you so much. It's only been a few weeks and, you know, but you've yeah, been Jay, back on the road. Um, yeah. I, I hope to see you next week. Um, and we yeah, can keep this up. All right, brother. Thank you so much. God bless you. I want to pray us out if we could. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, I want to come to you now. Um, and thank you. I want to thank you for my friendship and uh, fellowship with uh, Ken. I want to thank you for the brave men and women who are serving all around this world and all around this country and our first responders. Lord, I want you, I call you down now to protect our first responses, responders, particularly in Philadelphia, the ones who are on the line right now. We had 30 of them get injured the other night. They just got so much hate. I also ask that you protect our president, Lord, that you rally around him. You send guardian angels all around him and protect him right now before he, everything rests on him, Lord. And I ask that you keep, bring peace to this country right now. Bring cool heads, soften hearts, open ears, open minds to hearing your word, Lord. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We agree. Amen. Uh-huh.
Thank you for listening to Patriot Crusader Mission, where Christian warriors are forged. Sponsored by Patriot Crusader Mission Patreon page. Join us and become the Christian warrior you are called to be. Thank you for standing shoulder to shoulder with us in today's spiritual vanguard on Christian Warrior Talk, presented by Christian Warrior Mission. As we've united in prayer, let's hold fast to the truth in Nehemiah 4.14. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Until next time, let's keep a humble and grateful heart, deliberately pursue our relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and equip ourselves with the full armor of God. You're not walking this path alone. Lock shields with us, and together we will hold the line. May God bless you all.